Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Amen. Hopefully everyone's week has gone good, well, and um, um, for those uh, running around and, and some things have gotten somewhat too close to normal for some people with work and kids and school, some, a lot of kids are still at home um, doing remote learning and stuff like that, but um, um, hopefully you're finding the time to find peace in his presence, find um, his word throughout the week. Amen. If you're taking notes, go ahead and um, open your notes, and, uh, and let's be prepared to, to jump on this. I, I wanna, I, what I want to do is I don't want to start something new, uh, per se. Uh, many times we feel pressured um, just because we're coming on another day and we're going to see each other again. We feel like we need to bring something new, and sometimes that is the weight that falls on preachers. Sometimes the weight on preachers is I always have to present something new. And um, it's a sad place to be at when you're there, when you feel like I have to stand up here to entertain. Whenever we get to that place, we should just hang it up and recognize, oh, I lost the calling of what God's called me to do. Never do we stand up here to do something to try to entertain. Amen? But, but I want to continue to give information and to continue to give you the heart of God from what he was speaking last week. So I want to just flow into that, and I want last week's message to just continue right now. So this is a part two of it because we, we had to stop that message and, and just continue it today. Um, but we're going to continue with childlike search. And I, and I hope that it, you remember of it when you were here last week or if you weren't able to be here, um, that you were able to watch it online but, and, and you got some sort of understanding of it. If you didn't, don't worry about it. I encourage you after today, maybe tonight, before going to bed, maybe tomorrow, throughout the week, you have an amazing opportunity to go back to our YouTube page. Um, go ahead and just type Nest Church and, and listen to Childlike uh, Search, the, the first part, and, and, and see what we were talking about um, before today. So, so we want to make sure that you are, are, are going to be growing in this word today, amen, and growing in the word yesterday. Uh, we, we were speaking of childlike search, and wh- where do we, does anyone remember kind of like where we left off at? Uh, just kind of those that were here, or maybe you saw online and, and you're here today. Do you remember where we left off at? Do you remember what was one of the points that we were talking about? Um, just yell it out. Don't worry about it. We could do that in church. Just scream it out. Say, I, I remember this. Anyone? It sounded good. I was trying to hear you, but, but I, couldn't, I, I, could, I couldn't hear it all. I heard something about a child. I heard something about presence. Psalm 139. Amen. Amen. Uh, It's, you know, we we were speaking about Psalm 139 and we jumped into Luke 15. Remember that? And I want to get a little bit more into Luke 15 today. But in Psalm 139, we, we we were saying how David said, Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart, you know, everything about me. And we got into that later in that same chapter. He, he says, oh, Lord, examine my heart. And we even opened up with that. We opened up with how interesting it is that he says, oh, Lord, you have examined. But he closes with, oh, Lord, examine. You would obviously think that if you're writing this letter unto the Lord, in a say, 
you would start it the other way around. You would start with, oh Lord, examine my heart. And then you would end it with, oh Lord, you have examined. And, and that was a, a great revelation as we read that because what we see there is, is the place where David recognizes that this examining, this penetration that was going on in him was for his good. Remember that? And he realized that through this penetrating examination that the Lord has done in his life, it's bringing forth the identity of God. It's, it's transforming him. So towards the end of this so-called letter, if you want to call it that, song, if you want to call it that, he's basically saying, don't stop with that which you started with. You've examined, so at the end, what's his end? Keep examining. Because the cutting and the revealing and the exposing is actually bringing me closer. It's bringing you closer. And, um, and, and that was a, a, a beautiful reminder. And, and we were talking about how, how he, he, he exposes all these things, that everything is naked before him and, and, and the danger of us trying to escape. Because David says that. He says, I can never escape from your presence. I can never get away from your presence. I can't escape from your spirit. And we learned that the word escape there means to bolt, to flee suddenly. And Hebrew says that everything is naked, exposed before him. He's the one whom we're accountable to. So, so at the end, it's a beautiful thing where, where that saying becomes a reality. You can run. You can run. But you can't hide. You know, if you are a son or a daughter, my son tries to play hide and go seek with me. He could run. But as much as he thinks he's good at hiding, he can't hide. You see, he doesn't understand that as a father, I used to play the same game. So what happens is I'm a little bit older and wiser in his hiding. So I already know prob most likely all the hiding places that he could ever think of. So as much as he could run, he can't hide. Because I have all-knowing understanding of his hiding places. You don't think God has an all-knowing understanding of your hiding places? If you ran to a cave, Elijah, I will find you there. If you run to a wilderness, I will find you there. It doesn't matter where you run to when it comes to God and you are his son or daughter. The so-called lost son, which we've nicknamed the reckless son, he ran to a far country, and guess what? He was found there. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter where you run. The all-knowing father can find you, will find you. Amen? Sometimes, or most times, the finding takes place through this process of search. Something what I'm calling childlike search. And we see that in Luke chapter 15. That as much as the prodigal son, please listen to this, wanted to be independent. Independent from his father. Away from his father. Or, or he wanted to make a name for himself outside of his father. He would always end, or we see in this passage, that he would end acknowledging, knowing that all of his plans and what he envisioned for himself had failed. This son would recognize that as much as he tried to be independent away from the father, he would see himself at the end of the day as unsuccessful. He would find no success away from the father. He would find no success away from the father. Because the father, well, let's not get into that yet. But, but he came to that realization. He came to that understanding. He was this, as Luke 15 has labeled him, 
a prodigal son, a lost son. And when you really define that word, it's more of a reckless son. And I like that it's reckless rather than lost. Because you see, sometimes when we say the word lost, you think of a, of a position or of a destination. You think he's lost. You think about coordinates. He must be lost and someone needs to go find them. Like being lost at sea or lost in the woods. The lost son. He must have gotten lost. He must have lost his track. He must have gone off course. You with me? Lost. The lost son. When I hear lost, I think, oh, snap. He lost his map. He lost Siri. He lost. He's lost. But, but in Scripture, that's not what lost means. He decided, he made a choice to go to another place. He wasn't lost in the sense of the position or the place he was in. He was lost in the, same, in the sense of his identity. He became reckless and his identity was lost. Because let's be very honest. You could always honor the Father. Maybe you left here last Sunday and you said, I don't understand that message. You mean to tell me that I have to always stay in my Father's house to then have the proper identity? The reality is you could go to a far country. And you could be successful in a far country. But what happens is not when you're reckless. You see, he would never be successful in a far country because he was lost, a.k.a. he was reckless. He lost identity. So as much as he tried to do his work over there, he was never going to give glory to the Father because he wasn't even doing it through that identity. He wasn't even doing it through that. He wasn't even functioning in that manner. So he had to recognize that his lost, it wasn't a place of my position, my landmark. My lost was I've lost within myself who I really am called to be. Maybe he got to a place where he only believed for himself who he said he was. Maybe he believed for himself that he only was what others said about him. He was lost. And that made him reckless. But he had to get to the place where he had to come to believe and humble himself to that what God called him to be. Amen. All of his planning, all that he was doing, all that he was living... Scripture tells us he was out of his senses. When he comes back to his senses, Scripture says, he knew that he was always his father's son. How many of you have read, and we'll read it now, I'm going to read it actually uh, a little bit different today from Eugene Peterson's message translation, the way he puts it. But what's interesting about this is how many of you read this and you automatically think that, oh man, this guy lost sonship. I remember when I was coming up in the Lord, I would read this and I was like, you see, you could lose your relationship with God. You could lose sonship with the Father. I'm here to tell you that when you read Luke 15, the son never lost the father and the father never lost the son. They never lost each other, meaning they were always each other's sons and father. In Luke 15, nothing divorced them from being son and father. Nothing separated them from being son and father. They were always going to remain each other's son and father. And I used to, we used to think that. Many used to preach that and teach that. He always knew that he was his father's son and that he was better off 
with his father than away from him. But he had to come to his right mind. I like that it says that, right? He had to come to his senses. Or another translation says he had to come to the right mindset, let's say. And I like that because now it's dealing with he started thinking right. Do you guys know that it's easy, it's easy to immediately lose your identity in the Father when you start to think wrong? It all starts in the mind. This, this, he, he put it in his own mind. I could grab that which belongs to me and I will live good in a faraway place. He made the first mistake. He already started to think something totally different than that which the father was thinking over him. And because his thoughts were off, because his mind was off, guess what happened? His life was off. How many of us, our lives have been off because your mind was off? So the way that you had to get your mind back the, the way that you had to put your life back in order, it started with putting your mind back in order. And you had to come to a long process to realize my life will never be in order with God until I begin to put my mind back in order with God. So what does Romans says? What the scripture says? To what? Renew your what? Not your position from a faraway country. He says to what? Renew your mind because if you renew your mind if you fix your mind if you concentrate on your thoughts then you'll run back to the place where you should have never left how many of us and i'm talking to myself have ran off course because our mind was off then you started to think right and when you started to think right, you automatically started to walk right. And then you realized, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe it started. The Bible says that as a man thinketh, he is. So if you think, you will be. It starts there in your thoughts, in your mind. Didn't want to get so much into that, but... That's what happened here. He came to his senses. He came to his mind. And he realized, I'm my f first off, he's probably on all fours. He's filled with dirt and mud. He's in a disgusted place. And he's eating the pods from the ground that the pigs would eat. And as he's chewing on this nasty food, think about where he used to live. In a palace. Under a father who had a lot of money, a lot of authority. And he finally felt the push of the Lord and he says, man, if I could just go back to that man's house. Did I say it right? You should all be nodding your head no. He says, if I could just go back to my father's house. Even in his worst condition, even in his most lowliest place, dirtiest place, most humiliating, shameful place. He knew deep inside when he got his mind right. I've never stopped being my father's son. If I could just go to my father's house, surely, surely. And what does he say? The, the servants of, 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 of his house live better than what I live now. I am the son of my father, and yet the servants over there are living better than his son over here. Surely if I go back and just tell my father, I'm not worthy to be your son. But make me one of your slaves. The word slaves is not like what our country 
and, uh, uh, and, and the history of our country um, with slaves. It's, it's different. The, 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 the slave word here in Scripture is the servant, a servant of the household, a servant of someone with a lot of money. Okay, it's, it's someone that would serve in that household. If I just go back and become this slave, this, this servant, the lowliest position in Dada's house, I sh- will be better than the way I lived over there. I want you to process all that. I want you to just let that sit in. I want that to just, what does all that stuff mean to you? See, the, the, the son was going through his own pandemic. He has to go through it to realize that <clears throat> I'm so childish to think that I could do all this outside of the father. Um, he went through a process that we called last week a penetrating examination. Do you know where the father's penetrating examination took this son? Man. On the floor, on his face. He was stripped. He was broken. He was naked. He, he, what, what happened? He lost all of the image of himself. He went with money and he spent it on prostitutes. He spent it on good food, was renting in the the suites of every hotel room and it all ran out and the father began to chip. And he got to a place where he was now working at a farm eating because he didn't have no food and he was starving the food that the pigs ate and you might be in that place like wow god is mean god is bad look what god has done and you haven't stopped to realize that none of it had to do with the father and everything had to do with your choices God is this and God is that and the church is this and the pastor's that and my friend is that and the leaders are that and that Christian across the street is this and the one in the corner is that and you are what? But he's not there. At, at the end of the day, he comes to the place where he realizes, oh no, I've done everything wrong. <laughs> Oh no, look what I've done. None of it was the Father's. The Father did what he needed to do. The Father was good. How do you know the Father was good? We're going to read it. He says, Dad, give me what belongs to me. All right, I'll give it to you. I promised it to you. The Father did what the Father had to do. How many of you know the Father has done what the Father needed to do? How many of you know the Father gave his son, his great and first son, so that way you could follow the steps and be many, and, and you got, he could win many other sons and daughters. The father has done and continues to do what he needs to do. The question is, it's the sons, it's the daughters, it's the choices that we make. And he takes us through penetrating examinations to deal with the things that come up and are found. Let's read Luke chapter 15, verse 12. If my translation is a little off from yours, it's not because we're into anything crazy here or we're weird. I just like the way Eugene Peterson kind of writes this down. But follow with your translation if you want. It says this. So the father divided the property between them, and it wasn't long before the younger son packed up his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined, dissipated, he wasted everything that he had. After he had gone through all of his money, there was a bad famine. There's the pandemic. 
He entered a great pandemic, <clears throat> a great famine all through that country, and he began to hurt. It was a pandemic all throughout that country. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry. You've ever been this hungry? Man, what an honor to know I've never really been that hungry. I, I can't even imagine what it is to be this hungry. Thank God I've never been that hungry. Thank you, Lord, for all your provisions. And maybe some of you know exactly what this is. I've been that hungry. I know what this is like. Some people have been there. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop. But no one would give him any. How hungry can you be to, to get to that place? Verse 17 through 20, that brought him to his senses. And he said, all those farmhands, all those servants working for my father, they sit down to three meals a day. And here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. <laughs> That's how I read it. I'm going back to my father. Daddy's house is better. I'm going back to my father. Psalm 139 verse 1, if you remember last week. David said, oh Lord, you examine my heart and you know everything about me. And here is this son, here is this Luke 15 son. And he had choices to make and, and he made a lot of bad choices. Have you, at a, I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable, but has there been a certain time period in your life where you've made consecutive bad choices? One bad choice after another bad choice after another, and you're like, oh my God, I just, I'm in a rut. I'm not doing good. I need a prayer chain. I need people to fast for me. I'm not doing well. And it's one bad choice after another bad choice after another bad choice. Come on, consecutive bad choices. And you find yourself living in the place of your consecutive bad choices. But what's beautiful about this is what? The next choice that you make could change everything around. You might have made... 15 consecutive bad choices, but you never know. Your 16th choice might be the right one that you need to make to what? To repay all the negative ones back. I mean, I'm telling you, it's like that because the Lord has a tendency to do what? To repay what the locust has stolen from a thousand years. That's why families that have been broken for 15 years, they come into the presence of the Lord and immediately that which was broken for 15 years is saved at an instant before the presence of God. And you say, how in the world did that happen? Because the Lord is able to do what no counselor, what no judge, no friend can do. He's able to heal any pieces that have been broken. And that even means your 10 bad choices for your one good one. Your one good one can reverse all the 10 bad ones. So what does he do? It says what? I'm going to make the right choice. I'm going to dad's house. That one choice of I'm going back to dad's house changed all the other bad choices. If you read the story, you know what happened. He was put a ring, a robe, sandals, and a fatted calf began to be cooked and slaughtered and cooked. That, I'm going to be very honest with you. That means he was having ribeyes, New York strips, filet mignons. I mean, there was a cow being cooked for him. The butcher got to work. The meat was seasoned. And the steaks were being made. He ate like a king when a moment ago he was on his knees dying to eat pig's food. One choice, one decision could change ten bad ones. In the presence of the Lord. Come on. 
You need some coffee? Some coffee? I had a big cup today, so I'm ready. I walked in and I told Lurok, I'm ready for war. <laughs> he says, what kind of war? I, said, I don't know. I got to the back of the church. He was worshiping. I went, and he's like, no, I'm just, I'm just going to shoot, obviously. It's all spiritual. <laughs> Unless they tell me my house, not, your house now is my house. Okay. Um, the right one was made. The right one was made. Right decisions. Right decisions. I'm, I'm better off as the least in my father's house than being out of his presence. His childish behaviors, his childish thinking had to return to childlike identity. If I can just be with the father again, I'll never leave him. The New King James Version describes the son in verse 13, as I, said to you, as I told you, prodigal living. The ESV describes the son instead in reckless living, like that. Verse 13 says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, took a journey into a far country. Everyone say far country. Yeah, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Not in lost living, in reckless living. He, he what? He made choices to spend all his money. You didn't just get there because you just got there. You got there because you made decisions to get to where you're at. And we need to love you enough to be able to tell you that. You didn't get to where you're at just because like, you blinked your eyes and you got there. We all got to where we're at because it started with decisions. It started here. And if you could start changing that, imagine where you could get to. Amen? There are two things that stand out in verse 13. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all that he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Two things stand out. One thing is this. The son journeyed into a far country. I don't believe that was ever the father's intention for him even, to, to, to go into a far country. I could ask this question, and I'm sure from other questions that I've already asked, you would, a lot of you would raise your hand. But I know I have, and I could ask how many of us have journeyed to places, journeyed to places that you know that our Father has never purposed for you to journey to. I mean, I'm just asking a question. You have to answer that on your own. You've gone somewhere, and God's like, why are you even here? Why are you even with him? Why are you with her? Why, why did you even take that job? Why did you even... Have you ever done something? Let's ask some questions here. Have you ever done something and thought, oh, this is a good idea? That's a good idea. That's a great idea. But you've come to realize soon after it wasn't God's idea. You know how many good ideas I've had and then I've come to realize, oh, shoot, that wasn't God's idea. He's still a good father and he has a way of being so graceful in the process of it. But still, it wasn't God's idea. Have you ever experienced that you, that you can't go through your good idea because deep within he's already told you it's not God's idea? I know there has to be a lot of you that have been there, maybe are there. I want you to write this down. <clears throat> this is what I believe about the son in Luke 15. Ready? I believe the son wanted to build an inheritance rather than to receive an inheritance. And that's where his heart was wrong. You and I are not to build a kingdom. 
you and I are to receive the kingdom and establish it here on earth. You'll never be able to establish that which you've never first received. But if you try to establish something that you're not first able to receive, the kingdom that you're trying to establish is going to crumble. You could ask a man named Nimrod. The Lord had to bring confusion to his camp and the building had to stop. You could ask many others. I'm going to say that one more time. I believe that the son wanted to build an inheritance, wanted to build an inheritance rather than to receive an inheritance. Why would you and I ever feel we need to build something that the Lord has already said, I'm coming back and in my father's house, he is building many mansions. (laughs) If he's already doing the building, what made you think that you needed to build your own kingdom, your own inheritance? So what did the son do? He took that which was his father's and he thought, oh, I could do whatever I want with it. I'm going to build my own thing. And that was his great mistake. He took the money from the estate that the father had set apart for him. He, he had two sons and he split the money for both his sons. So it was a lot of money. It was a good sum of money. And he thought to himself, he thought to himself, it started in the mind, I'll go to this other place and I'll build something for me there. I will make a name. I will be successful. I will run a company. I've had, I've had people that, that, that have come here and then have left here and haven't been able to fall under, 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 under authority or, or, or even fall under leadership. And then as they leave, they say, pray for me because I'm going into ministry. That's That's crazy. How are you going to start something when you've never fallen under anything? Think about that for a moment. So here is this man, and he took the money from his state, and I'll go over there now. I'll leave them, and I'll go over there, and I'll build something for myself there. I'll make a name there. I'll be successful there. I'll run a company by myself for myself over there in that country away from my father. I'm tired of being under my father's shadow. If you're a son, the truth is you can't receive what the Father gives you and what obviously already belong, only belong, always has belonged to him to then live selfishly and recklessly. It's impossible. You, we can't do that. As a son, you will quickly realize that that which has been given freely to you because he loves you is that which also has a hold on you and holds you accountable. That, that, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing because the Lord has given me stuff and, and, and the stuff that he's given me, that stuff holds you accountable. It has a sense of holding you accountable. And the accountability from the goodness of the Father that he gives to you is not to force you into obedience because what has been offered or even given to you, this accountability that I'm talking about, this goodness of the Father, the accountability, the Father's goodness, what it does is it drives us deeper now into obedience because we love the Father. We love our Father who has initially come to reveal that He loved us first. So what happens is that which I've received from the Father, it holds me accountable, not to force me to be obedient, but but it does something in me that it drives me to greater honor in obedience because I love him, and I love him, not because of what he gives me. I just love him, and this stuff right here is always here to remind me of how good he is. He's he's a good father, And, and it drives me to obedience 
that to love him more and I love him more because he's revealed to my soul that he's first loved me. Think about that. When the son was running back to the father's house, he was going to ask him what? Let me be a servant. When the father was running to the son, he was not going to ask him or make a deal with him. He was going to claim him back as a son. I just want to be your servant. While he was saying it, the father said, welcome home, my son. Here's your robe. Here's your ring. There's your sandals. He went with one understanding, and the father, I believe, saw the honor of that. And because he went with that understanding, the father blessed him and said, I saw the transformation. Now you're ready for this blessing. And, and he gave him that which always belonged to him because he was son. The reality is that which is a sons and a daughters, no one can separate that. No, no one can take that away from you. Even if you've made 10 wrong decisions and you see yourself so hungry that you're eating the pig's food, nothing can separate you. Eventually, man, that stuff is going to lead you back. The examination is going to happen. The brokenness is going to happen. But the father is going to have to clothe you again. 1 John 4.16 says, He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. It is, it is the transformation from inheriting such a love that all we can do is love him in return. I, I've, I've res have you received an inheritance of God's love? Have you? And because you received such an inheritance of God's love, all you could do is just love him back. Where your whole life is surrendered to him. Where now you belong in offering unto God. You become an offering unto the Lord. 1 John 4.19, all of 1 John 4 talks about these things, but 1 John 4.19 says we love him because he first loved us. Do you know, man, I didn't kind of want to do this. I, I had it there just in case. But do you know that in Hebrews 11 and all over the scriptures, you see individuals that immediately their lives became an offering unto the Lord because what? They love him because he first loved them. I don't have time to read all of 11, but you tell me what this sounds like because this stuff is shocking. Ready? It says this, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep, goats, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering around deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people are in the good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received that, um, all that God had promised. For God has something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. You, you read these passages and you're like, man, these are transformed people. That they're able to live in such a way, in such a love for that which has first loved them. What do you think happened to these people? Man, the childlike search became alive in them. They recognized who they were and they weren't going to bow to anything else. Childlike search. And what that does when we see that our heart is right, it drives out our selfishness. How many of us has God had to deal with selfishness or entitlement? I deserve. I should be recognized. I should be heard. I should be there. That should be me. And then God just starts to deal with you. He starts to work in you. What did the son say? Let's go back to the son, Luke 15, verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will rise and go to my father and I will say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
Did you notice what was stripped away? He didn't say, I should be there. I should be eating good. I am my father's son. This is not fair. He was stripped from self. He was not entitled. He was not, he was not I feel deserving of. He recognized, I'll honor the position of servant as long as I'm in presence with father. I want, I want you to look at that. May, could, could he have felt so entitled just because he was son and the father needed just to teach him something? That through the process, you, son, don't you recognize that you're always, why do you want the money now? You, didn't, you don't need the money. Why do you want all the inheritance now? And, and what the father does is he just wants to chip away those things in us. And he chips away those things so he could form us into honor. So we would honor and embrace and find worth and find worth not first in being a son. How about if I flip it on you and say that the father first wants you to find worth in being servant. Because when he came to his senses, he did not say, I should go back and be a son. When he came to his mind, he says, I should go back and be like one of the servants. I want you to think about what happened in the son's heart. I want you to think about what really happened there. The word worthy in the Greek in this uh, chapter in Luke 15, it means being suitable or having weight. So, so we know that the father sends his first son, Jesus, the firstborn among m- many others. That's Romans 8.29. To display for us what the other sons should look like. Having weight in what? What does Jesus do? You want to be great? You want to be great? You want to know love? You want to have love? You want to know what real love is? What's real love and what's the answer to greatness? Real love is to what? Read your Bible, guys. Lay down your life. Lay down your life for another, for your friend. What, what, is, what, is, what is greatness? What is the road to greatness? You want to be great? You want to be first? You need to be a what? Last, a servant. That's the message. So, so here, here we are, and Jesus is this example to, to have weight, worthy, to have weight in being a servant rather than living entitled in self and boasting in the wrong things. And, and Paul was taken through this journey, through this schooling, like I like to call it, this process. In Galatians 6.14, he says what? As for me, I never boast about anything. What does Paul say? Except for the cross. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I'm going to boast, I boast in Jesus, he says. Because of that cross, my interest is the world that has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. This is powerful. So I ask this question. What work is he doing in you? How is that search going? I said that last week. How does the penetrating investigation, how does it look like in your life? Is it bringing great honor and humility in being son? Here it is. In Luke chapter 15, he was always son. I need everyone to say always son. Maybe I'll end it here. We'll see. He was always son. He was always son. I want you to know that you are always a son or daughter. How many of you believe you're you're a daughter? How many of you believe you're a son? I believe I will always be a son. We're always going to be sons and daughters. Always son. I've always been a son. He was on the floor with the pigs. And he says the phrase, in my father's house, I'm always a son. But there's something that he forgot to honor. It is very easy. It is very easy to understand this. Ready? 
It's very easy to be a son, but to lose the honor of being servant. I believe that many are sons, but not all sons are servants. And this son had to be taken to a place to recognize my greatest honor to my father. What could it be? It's not to go back to the house and just be son. The greatest honor to my father would be if I go back home and I just become his servant. And when that revelation hits him, he goes back and the father meets him and says, because you know now what it is to be a servant, now I clothe you and remind you, your son. And he puts on garments, garments back on him to give him his identity. And I started to think about that and I said, have there been moments in my life where I've just lived as son and I failed, I failed in places to find honor, weight, and worth in the position, in the glory of being his servant. Was I so caught up in an identity that I put on myself that I've lost the beauty of finding identity in serving him in places where no one can see. Many can call themselves son, but I don't believe many can call themselves servants. And those are two different things. A son who is a servant rather than a son just by right. Man, because of that, I could honor in serving the Lord. Because I'm a son, I have the honor to serve my father. Hebrews 11, all those sons and daughters, chopped in half, bled to death, cut open, eyes plucked out, needles in their eyes, embedded. They would sew sheepskin on their back and make them walk around with that heavy garment and would rip their back open. They did all that because they wouldn't recant the father. What happened to them? I'll serve you even to... They could have said, I'm the son of God. But instead they said, if the son needs to go through this process to serve the father, I will find worth in being a servant as I'm a son, as I'm a daughter of father. And the son had to go through this revelation. He needed to recognize, I need childlike search to happen so he could expose, so he could bring to light so that that way I could serve in the capacity he wants me to serve him. And then I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Your service is not just in these four walls. Don't ask only, how can I serve here? I want you to ask the Lord, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? How can I serve you there? How can I wash my enemy's feet? How can I cook for my betrayer? How can I care for the widow, for the orphan, for the abused? Think about how you can run back to the Father through the childlike search and say it's time to, to serve him. Amen? I'm going to end there. I wanted to talk a little bit about maturity and immaturity because he had to go through that. But listen, it's, it's an act of where the Lord takes you and you recognize at this place, Lord, through your surgical hand, through the knife that has cut through, 
the machinery and the work of the Holy Spirit, that which has occurred within me, that which has come out, that which has been shown, the choices I made, the place where I'm at, the recklessness in which I've caused, all these different things within me, all of it is to bring me to a greater place. And the greater place as son, as you've searched deep within me and you've revealed, the greater place as son is to find honor in just living and loving the place of being your servant. As we close off, I want you to think about Jesus. One day he was, he was 12 years old and he was lost. And Mary probably went to ask Jesus, are you hungry? I got some snacks in the bag. And when she looked around, she said, Joseph, have you seen Jesus? I thought he's with his aunt. They stopped the caravan. They go, is Jesus with you? No, he's not with us. I thought he was with you, no? They go to the next one, is Jesus with you? Then they find out, oh, snap, Jesus is with no one. We've, we've lost him. There's two different sons in the Bible that are lost. Jesus is lost. And Luke 15, that son is lost. Three days later, Mary finds him. She goes back to Jerusalem with her caravan and with her husband. And she says, Jesus, do you not know that for three days we've been looking? I lost Jackson for 20 minutes in a cruise. Boat, and I thought I was going to die. 20 minutes. I'm screaming from the top balcony going all the way down to the, Jackson! And everyone's staring at me. And I lost my son for 20 minutes in a Disney cruise. And I'm running around and I'm telling off Disney employees, go look for him, call it on the radio. I was giving orders. Stop the ship, you know, whatever. But I was on the balcony screaming, Jackson, Jackson, Jackson. I saw Stitch. Stitch taking pictures of people. I grabbed the leader, find my son, Noel I got to the heck with Stitch. Jackson. It's funny because I didn't think about this. While Jackson was lost, I ran into Stitch. Stitch is actually Jackson's favorite character. Whatever, let's not get into that because Disney's on a whole other level right now. All right. And Jackson, imagine three days. Jesus! Jesus. Three days. 20 minutes, I was going to die. I was, I was ready, to get, like, ready to faint my knees. I was like, oh my God. I had the little Disney phone, so I was like, if Nancy calls me, how do I lie to her? Because she was getting ready. Jackson had a whole pirate fitting. So I was like, how do I tell Nancy, like, oh, we're going over there now. Well, really, I'm lost. I lost Jackson. Like, so I was like, please, God, don't let her call me now. So we, we finally, uh, long story short, I'll talk to you after about that. I find him. We get home. Don't say nothing to mom. Just let's get ready. Open the door. Mom, dad lost me. <laughs> Three days, though. Jack, Jesus. Three days, Jesus. Jesus looks at his mother. And he says, you've been looking for me for three days, 12 years old. He says, do you not know that I'm about my father's business? Do you not know I'm about my father's business? I'm on earth to serve father. Mom, don't ever forget what Gabriel told you when he visited you. I'm Jesus. I'm the son of God. And I've come to serve him. When Jesus was at the Garden of Gethsemane, 
He's at the at a place which is symbolic for a wine press. He's at a wine press. And as our great vineyard, our great wine himself, Jesus is being crushed, the grape. He cries out this prayer. He's filled with so much anguish and anxiety that it's been proven that you could actually start to sweat blood. And he begins to sweat blood. So imagine what he looked like. And he says, Father, pass this cup from me, but nevertheless, let not my will be done but yours. He could have said, Father, I am your son. I come from where you are. I will not go through this. But his prayer was, if I'm truly going to honor him as son, I have to truly honor him as his servant. My son dishonors me the most when he's disobedient to me. When I have to tell my son, get up to go brush your teeth, and he tells me, no, not now, it puts fire in my bones. Because all I want you to do is what I ask. Just brush your teeth and you can watch the movie. But bro, not now. When does a son tell a father not now? All a father wants is son, be obedient and you'll have the world. You'll have the world. Be obedient and everything that is mine is yours. And when we're not, he has to take us through the process because how can we ever honor him as son? And when he calls us, he says, not now. I'm busy with something else. And he says, no. I thought I, I, thought I did it. Another bad decision. Let's, let's work on you some more. To be an honorable son, you must first be a worthy servant. Amen? To be an honorable son, you must first be a worthy servant. A worthy servant. And if I can't serve, how can I ever truly identify a son? Who are the people in life that you respect most as men and women of God? I hope they're not the ones that have great knowledge. I hope they're not the ones that could sit with you and tell you all the Greek and all the Hebrew, though that is good. I hope those are not the ones that wow you. I hope the ones that you've come to honor and respect are the sons that have found worth in being a servant. If you notice carefully, people who are truly honored are those who are truly servants. I don't know what else to tell you. I feel like I've drilled it enough. Amen? Honor as a son is finding worth as a servant. Praise God. The Lord has been working in me and, and um, I pray that he's working in you. Amen. Hallelujah. Ah, 
Hallelujah. Lord, we love you, Lord. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I know I'm a son. I've never struggled with that. I've always known I'm a son. I've always known that I'm your child. But Lord, knowing that I'm a son, I've seen how you've been working in me to truly be a servant. To truly be a servant. Because sometimes as a son, I could still be prideful, boast, live from that inheritance and miss out in finding worth not just being your son but as a son the ability to be a servant to serve you and to serve the world and that in my service in our service then we would show the world what real sons look like what real daughters look like and what the father looks like I love that when Philip goes up to Jesus and says, come on, we want to see him already. We want to see the Father. Jesus' reply says, how can you still ask that? Have you not been with me long enough? Have you not seen my service? Have you not seen how I serve the demon-possessed, how I've served those individuals, how I serve the, the, the leper, how I serve the prostitute, how I serve the the tax collector how I serve every single one of you how I serve Judas do you not see how I serve if you see me then you've seen the father Lord allow us to live as servants in this world so that the world can see sons and daughters and in seeing sons and daughters they see the father they see the father if they see the son they'll see the father if they see the daughter They'll see the Father. Just like when someone says, Man, I saw your son today. I saw you. It was your face. It was you acting out. It was your words. And there's no greater joy of a father when he's told, I saw your son and I saw you. And Father, that's what you want to hear. That the world says, Father, I saw you. Because I saw your son. Father, I come before you repented because I saw your daughter I felt your spirit I heard your words through them childlike search do that work in us so that we could become the servants of this world and that we would display sons and daughters in this world that would identify into this world of the face of the father so Lord we love you today and thank you we praise you we give this all to you be glorified in Jesus' name. And together we all say, Amen. Come on, let's give them some praise. So good.